Welcome to Main Menu for May 13th, 2011. I'm Jamie Pauls. What's in a name? On this week's edition of Main Menu, after Chase Crispin's weekly tech update, we visit with Doug Spry, Media Relations Director with Learning Ally, formerly RFB&D, about the reasons why the company changed its name. Longtime member John Russo joins the discussion to give a user's perspective on the name change. Aaron Edgar rounds out the show with a comparison of two currency identification apps for iOS devices, Looktel's Money Reader and iNote. That's all coming up on this edition of Main Menu. Hello, Main Menu and Tech Talk. This is Chase Crispin with the Tech Update for the week of May 9th, 2011. I apologize for the lack of a tech update over the last few weeks. There just hasn't been enough technology news for a tech update. But I'm finally back this week with a tech update for you. This week, Apple has released a new iMac, which is one of their desktop products. This contains a new method of transferring files that's much faster than USB called Thunderbolt, a high-definition webcam built in, and a faster processor. You can check out apple.com to learn about this new iMac, which will ship including the built-in screen reader voiceover. Ceratech has released a new camera, another version of the Hovercam, for their DocuScan Plus product. This Hovercam has some new features that will make your scanning experience easier. So to learn more or to purchase this camera, please visit serotech.com or to get a trial of DocuScan Plus, please visit docuscanplus.com. Humanware, makers of the very popular Victor Reader Stream, has released their next line of desktop CD daisy players, which will be known as the Victor Reader Stratus. There are several models of these, and these will include the ability to play CDs, and some models will include text-to-speech. An interesting feature is that they will also play DVDs, and they will also have a port to plug in thumb drives and other USB media. One model will also contain 3G and wireless internet support. And you will be able to choose which model and which type of keypad you want based on your needs. These Victor Reader Stratus models are announced but will not be shipping for several more months. To learn more about the Victor Reader Stratus, please visit humanware at h-u-m-a-n-w-a-r-e dot c-o-m. RFB&D, or Recordings for the Blind and Dyslexic, has changed its name to Learning Ally. For those of you not familiar with RFB&D, they provide books in audio daisy format, many books, and you can request which books you need for your school or work. And they are now known as Learning Ally to be able to better support groups that aren't blind or dyslexic. You can visit them at learningally.org, though you can still get to their website through the old rfbd.org address. And finally, HIMS, makers of many products formerly sold by GW Micro in the U.S., is having another contest, this time giving away a free SenseView Lite portable magnifier. Visit hymns-inc.com 
to learn more about this contest to win a free magnifier. This will conclude the tech update for Main Menu and Tech Talk for the week of May 9th, 2011. This week on Main Menu, I'm visiting with two gentlemen. The first is Doug Spry, Director of Media Relations at Learning Ally, formerly RFB&D. Doug, welcome to Main Menu. Hi, how's it going today? Doing great. Also, we're visiting with John Russo, who's a lifetime member of RFB&D and is a part-time sound engineer, accomplished musician, as well as a graduate student. John, you're a busy guy, so I'm glad you could take some time to join us here on Main Menu. It's an honor. Thank you for asking me. Excellent. Doug, let's start with you. Give us a little history of RFB, first of all, of course, and then eventually RFB&D. Many blind people have kind of known about the company forever, but maybe don't really know how it got started. Well, I think we do know that the progression is RFB, then RFB&D, and now Learning Ally. And so we've been through a couple of name changes. Starting in 1948, this organization had its genesis after World War II, when a group of volunteers got together concerned about all of the young men coming back from the war who were blinded, visually impaired, injured, and otherwise reading disabled as a result of their injuries. And they wanted to get their lives back on track, and the GI Bill would cover their education, but how were they going to get their educational materials? They couldn't read traditional print anymore. So they started recording textbooks one by one uh, in a volunteer studio in New York City. And this thing took off. It grew across the country, and all kinds of uh, charity studios cropped up around the country, affiliated with RFB, Recording for the Blind, as it was called in those days. And it really took root in a number of cities across the country and supported a growing membership through the decades. And um, technology has evolved from, you know, discs, recorded discs to, uh, you know, in vinyl to um, acetate tape to cassette and uh, later CDs. Also, there was an evolution in membership, a widening of the membership base. In the mid-1990s, another population of users was added to the mix, people with dyslexia and learning differences who also had reading disabilities and needed this kind of service, again, to fulfill their educational goals and to have material become accessible to them that they could use in the classroom and to earn their degrees and um, get themselves situated for the workplace. So as the user base expanded, then at that time in the 90s, the name RFB and D, excuse me, the name RFB took on another letter, the letter D for dyslexic. And um, Recording for the Blind became Recording for the Blind and Dyslexic. And that's the organization that most people have known up till this time. This year, we rebranded, renamed the organization Learning Ally. And it's the same organization. It's the same mission and the same essential core services, but for an expanding group of people, an expanding group of users who have reading disabilities of different types. We no longer just serve uh, only blind or dyslexic populations, but a whole range of people for whom um, access to learning materials is crucial. 
and desired. So it's been a natural progression, and I have to say it's been pretty much user-driven all along. And, uh, you know, we're going forward with that mission um, and expanding in, in technologies and access. Now everything is downloadable on the Internet. We're using the DAISY standard. John Russo, who's joining me in this interview, knows a heck of a lot about accessible technology. He's one of our star members. He's a National Achievement Award winner. And, you know, I'm glad that he's here with me to kind of give a user's perspective so that it's not just me as a staff person at RFB&D Learning Ally telling the story. That's great. John, uh, take us back to the early days, because I kind of, uh, I'm old enough to remember, the, obviously, the cassette tapes, but even reference to uh, what I knew back then were old reel-to-reels. I don't think I actually used the reels, although I have a vague recollection that maybe I actually did at one point. But take us back to the early days and kind of kind of give us an idea of how the company, the organization, has helped you through the years. Beginning in 1993, when I enrolled in my first semester at a community college, I was introduced to, at that time, RFB by the Disability Services uh, Director. I had never heard of the organization prior. And so we had, at that time, four-track cassette machines, and the cassettes we used from Recording for the Blind were developed so that you had four tracks of uh, information, and a single beat tone alerted us to a page change, a double beat tone to a chapter change, and these tones were audible uh, when fast-forward or rewind mode was activated with specially adapted players. Uh, sometime later, we went into CDs, and Telex was the first to produce the Telex uh, devices with CD players. And that increased our ability to navigate books. We now could use a single button to jump to pages. We could also insert bookmarks, which was extremely effective, especially in quoting extensively from books in order to substantiate argumentation in research papers. And uh, just a few years ago, we got into the downloadable digital arrangement, which is wonderful. We have uh, several companies that produce the Daisy Book Players, and so we can download the RFB&D book directly to our PC, and that can then be translated or, or, or downloaded to our Daisy Book Player. Now we have our book in the palm of our hand. We can store many books in a Daisy Player, and we can put all sorts of bookmarks in there and jump from page to page or chapter and so forth. And it's just been an incredible progression in terms of technology. But not only that, the accessibility. I would argue now that with the Daisy Bookmark feature, we as people with sight disabilities can probably find pages and headings and chapters in a book faster than a sighted person. And I know that... Uh, when I was bestowed the honor of a National Achievement Award even two years ago, I think I won in 2000, uh, no, it was 2010, I believe. The time goes by so fast. Uh, I was spoken to at that time by John Kelly, and he mentioned that as the amount of people and users with different types of disabilities expanded, the organization felt that RFB and D was a little limiting because as an organization, 
the desire to reach out with simply anybody with a print disability was recognized, and so to say blind only or dyslexic only was limiting. So at that time, a name change became a buzz in the air, and I thought it was an excellent decision, especially because, for example, suppose that you're an individual who came back from uh, war in Iraq, let's say, and you don't exactly have uh, too much loss of sight, but maybe you now experience health problems, maybe headaches when you try to concentrate too long. Well, you're not dyslexic and you're not exactly blind. So if you were searching for books in a format that you could read without needing to focus so much on the eyes and the headaches that you get, if you saw B and D only, blind and dyslexic, you might think, well, that doesn't serve me. Now, learning ally, of course, ally suggests a friend to all. And in fact, I have the uh, website up and running right now, and I'd like to quote specifically the line that says, making reading accessible for all. So anybody with a print disability for any reason is now invited to join Learning Ally and receive their educational materials in a format that allows them to enjoy as well as educate themselves with the information that is required, but without worrying that their eyes are going to cause a problem, distracting them and causing them not to be able to read. So I think that the name change is more inclusive and represents the mission of what used to be RFB, RFB and D, and now Learning Ally more accurately. I think this name will indicate that anybody is invited to receive these services, of course, as long as they can prove that they have a print disability. So I think the progression has been excellent, the technology is wonderful, and I can't say enough for what the organization has done, not only for me, but hundreds of thousands of people who've gone through high school, college, and are now gainfully employed thanks to this organization. That's that's a very good explanation, and I think it's it's um, very helpful to uh, not only to to hear the reason for the name change, but to hear it from a user perspective. Um, and John, you say that it was user driven, and, and Doug has made reference to that. Um, either one of you, gentlemen, how many people were involved in this decision, and and how did you go about making that decision? I guess Doug will let you take that one. Well, you know, it, really hundreds of people have been involved directly. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of members, as you know, and we have we literally have hundreds of thousands of members uh, in schools, institutions, families, and individuals across that whole spectrum. You know, you can't reach all of them. Um, you know, we're, we're a nonprofit with limited means, but we also have 6,000 volunteers. We have you know, donors and stakeholders, and we have deep ties into the education community. And so what it really meant was going deep into, basically for the better part of a year, a process of, before we even started to come up with ideas for, you know, different alternatives for the name, to understand um, what are our key stakeholders really thinking and what's really important to them. And, you know, we need to have this change driven by members and key stakeholders. So we created focus groups of parents and student members and teachers, volunteers, and we talked to our, uh, our friends at the Department of Education. And um, 
you know, basically all components of our community were represented in this extensive um, and really methodical process to um, study factors that would help us choose the right name um, and, you know, vet different alternatives, see how they played out among different populations. And we had many, many alternatives. You also have to get into, you know, trademark searches and URLs and domains and, you know, as you can imagine, uh, you know, scores and scores of ideas come up and put on the table. You have to kind of comb through those and see how they play out among your focus groups. And, you know, I won't bore you with all the details, but it was a really laborious and pretty intensive process um, with some very professional people um, guiding us from outside as well as a lot of people from inside. And most of all, as, as John said, it was a member-driven uh, move, I think. Uh, that's, that's really the core of it. Knowing that many of our members now are neither blind or dyslexic, um, that we might be serving all kinds of people, including people like who might have cerebral palsy and can't hold a book physically. Or, as John said, someone coming back from... Iraq or Afghanistan with a traumatic brain injury that makes it difficult to focus. I mean, there's a whole plethora of, of learning differences and, and uh, reading disabilities that are in this community now, and the name that we had kind of um, limited us uh, in terms of external perception. Also, equally important, many of our members told us, don't box me in with a with a by, by, by typecasting or labeling me. You know, I don't want to be referred to as disabled. I just want the same opportunity to succeed in education that others enjoy. And many, many uh, young members have told us that. And um, also, you know, the word recording is interesting because, you know, we're no longer just recording. I mean, we, we have volunteers coming in to narrate books but we're also getting into vtext and you know we're getting into text files and we're moving in the direction of of you know human audio and synthetic speech um in combination um so you know services to help schools develop curricula for students with learning disabilities so it's no longer just recording for the blind and dyslexic that becomes something that we still do but it's no longer only what we are. So as as a user of formerly RFB&D, I was reading on Twitter one day and kind of cruising along using my favorite uh, text-to-speech uh, engine, which happens to be Eloquence, and I saw a tweet that said that RFB&D had changed its name to Learning Alley, and that's what I heard. And of course, I know now that's not at all what you you know, changed your name to, and that was not the intent. But I'm curious uh, if you saw that coming, if if you were aware that there might be some confusion just based on the fact that text-to-speech engines don't do a good job sometimes. Well, first of all, the text-to-speech engines are not uniform across the board, so there are uh, there is a variety of responses from text-to-speech engines that, you know, do pronounce the word ally, uh, as well as um, allies and al ally and um, also ally. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the word ally is the, the verb pronunciation of the word ally. We're using it as a noun. And the long and short of it is, and you know, we've talked to Freedom Scientific, who manufactures the JAWS 
program, and, you know, they're aware of it. They're working with us to correct it. You know, speech engines, text-to-speech text engines are evolving and can be trained. And we didn't think this was going to be a deterrent. Um, you know, the, the vetting the name across all the populations, running into a small snag like that was not, you know, a factor that was going to tip the boat, I think. Right, right. And to be fair, I mean, even eloquence doesn't mispronounce it all the time. Um, in fact, I've tried to find a pattern, and I can't really say that I, I find one. It's obviously where the word is placed in a sentence for whatever reason. When the word learning is before ally, it doesn't handle it well, but in, in the same, like an email. And I think that was part of the, I mean, I think with, for the Twitter community, which, quite honestly, that kind of depends on who you follow when you use that term. My Twitter community might be different than yours or John's. But I think in 140 characters or less, trying to synopsize, you know, hey, we've just changed our name. I mean, maybe, you know, you got caught, like you say, in, in a bit of a snag. But if a person goes and reads email, the website, and and tries to do a bit of, of research and learning... Um, you know, I, I think maybe I, uh, one can begin to get the bigger picture. Does that Our seem website like a f- for RFB&D and Learning Ally has been regarded by professionals in the assistive technology field as one of the accessible on the market. And we really have made big effort to have it accessible to all our users, starting with our blind and visually impaired members. And the word ally, I mean, John referred to it very well a few minutes ago. It means a friend to all, you know, a trusted, dependable friend, in this case, uh, making reading accessible to people who uh, may just have a different way of learning. And the word ally is really a standard word in the English language. So, I mean, that's a fixed quantity. That's durable for the duration. And... You know, screen readers like JAWS, they are evolving all the time. And why should we be held back by, you know, a mechanical flaw that is very transitory that can be easily retrained and will be? And frankly, I'm amused, you know, to see the the response from some people has been, you know, kind of almost, you know, poking and prodding and, and making fun. But on the other hand... It really drives home the point at the end of the day that it's not about a screen reader. It's about what you take in your mind and what you understand as a brand and identity. And everybody knows that we're learning ally and not learning alley. (laughs) They may hear that and do a double take. So they ask a question about it, and they quickly get straightened out. We move on. So I think the name is going to take hold, and for the reasons that John talked about earlier, um, you know, we're with it for the duration. It's really inclusive, and that's really where we want to be. And we're happy to work. We're, we're, we're happy that Freedom Scientific and other vendors are, you know, really willing to work with us because, you know, a lot of our users use these screen readers. It's important. Um, but, you know, let's not be bogged down by, you know, a little bit of software that can be retrained. And, you know, let's really get to the heart of what this mission is about and try to serve as many people as possible. 
well, well stated. Absolutely. So for anyone who formerly used RFB&D and happily downloaded books, I assume there's no change. Do they have to download any new keys or anything like that for their players? No, it's all, it's all perfectly uh, good continuity. Right. I mean, we did change the website to Learning Ally, and that was a big project, but it's all the same. Same materials, just, um, you know, the accessibility that John talked about is so important, and, and the navigability. And we want, you know, we're always on a mission to increase and enhance that, to make it more and more user-friendly and more of an even playing field for students, um, you know, that they can have the same learning experience as anyone else. And just before we became Learning Ally, um, we released RFB&D uh, on Apple platforms so that people can get their books on mainstream devices like iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, Mac platforms as well, PC platforms. There's Windows Media. There are MP3 players commercially available as well as the specialized assistive technology devices that people know, like the Plex Talk and Victor Stream and so forth. And, you know, John can talk about his own experience, because I've, I've met John when he came to Washington, and he is very fluid with, with technology in a way that I can't be. So he has a great perspective on assistive technology also, and, you know, you might want to probe him on that. But really, that's where the mission is going, to be more inclusive and just widen accessibility and make it more mainstream. Excellent. So, John, why use um, a specialized um, format? I mean, you know, why not just run out and buy an iPod or an iPad and just download iBooks and EPUB books? I mean, what, uh, what still is the advantage in some cases of the work that the folks over at Reading uh, Learning Ally are doing? Uh, again, accessibility, rapid accessibility, ease of operation are still features built into the Learning Ally book product that you won't find from commercially uh, based audio books. For example, as the uh, readers are uh, going along reading the book, they make sure to state page numbers. Now, again, if you're a graduate student uh, working on a doctoral program or even in an undergraduate program, and you are sightless or, again, dyslexic or just have difficulty reading, but you need to quote the page numbers from which your information is being quoted, you better be accurate, especially in an academic environment. And so to be able to hit a button on your DAISY player that quickly says the status of the page you're on is very handy. Uh, again, the bookmark feature, I know of other commercially-based DAISY consortium products but they do not allow you to insert bookmarks. Uh, now, that's very important. Sometimes when I'm reading, I hear something that seems to uh, match the theme of our discussion in a course or the theme of a particular topic that we had been discussing that I might want to use in a paper. By inserting a bookmark, uh, I can come back to that quote and retrieve it very fast when it's time to write the paper. Again, when we go from the various heading levels, we can hear a description at the beginning of the book to tell us what is accessible in the various headings. So, for example, level one may be page numbers, level two might be chapter uh, demarcations, and then maybe level three is specific headings um, or sections of the book. 
So again, these levels of navigation make it easy to browse the book, make it easy to find chapters or sections of the book quickly. And these are advantages, as mentioned, that a lot of the commercial audio products are not offering. So, uh, and, and not very, not very only. Important. Yeah, not not only ease of being able to navigate around, but, I mean, let's face it, you're reading a PDF file of a book, and there's a picture caption, and it gets plopped down right in the middle of a sentence, and it kind of breaks the flow of, of your thought. And, I, I mean, a, a, a picture caption only goes so far. So the volunteers at uh, Learning Ally, you know, do a, a great job of, of um, describing pictures and tables and charts and that that sort of thing. So I think it's uh, it's good to remember also that there are times when you just don't get as much information. I mean, as a as an instructor who teaches a music appreciation course um, at a local college, the PDF files of the document are fine, but it's I've used many editions of the textbook where volunteers have sat down at a piano and literally played the melody. Uh, of a of a song, which you know is in the text, and they're they're reproducing it as best they can. Now, I just want to interject, if I can, on that on that subject you just brought up, Jamie, about um, descriptions of charts and graphs and illustrations. I was referring a little while ago to something we call vtext, and that's like a new function we're developing in which volunteers may not um, physically recite or you know describe in their own voice. Um, a chart graph or um, illustration in a textbook, but they may well um, be off-site from one of our studios. They may be at their own company or at home, and they may type the description. And so that description will end up being rendered in text-to-speech so that, you know, it's um, a combination of human audio and and text-to-speech technologies taking place. Very interesting. And that's another way that we can maximize this wonderful uh, core of volunteers that we have around the country. Well, it sounds like there are a lot of great things going on at the company. It sounds like you're moving forward. Um, Doug, is there anything that you'd like to uh, to add before we close out? Well, I, I'm I don't have anything much to add, but I'm interested in just your take. Um, you know, on. Uh, the views of people in the blind and visually impaired communities, um, it doesn't seem to be like one cohesive, monolithic voice coming from that community. There are factions. It reminds me of the Christian church. <laughs> you know, there's, there's uh, different voices, different views, and we've had, you know, enormous amount of support from people in that community as well as others and also healthy questioning and dialogue and, and some outright dissent, which is also very healthy, and we cherish and welcome all of that, particularly from some members of the NFB. Um, you know, there have been some pretty scathing criticisms of the new name, and, you know, they feel like because we took the word blind out of our name that we're abandoning them or, you know, somehow compromising the mission, leaving them behind, and I think from our perspective, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. And, you know, we're coming at this mission with, you know, even more renewed intensity and, you know, to serve everyone um, in an inclusive way. And, you know, so I just, you know, I find myself sometimes questioning 
those responses and you know they've made me think about things and fortunately it's offered a chance to get into dialogue with people and understand a little bit about why they feel that way and what makes them tick you know john's long time um experienced in this domain also and you know i'm, I'm interested in his thoughts as well sure well i'll, I'll go first then I'll, I'll let john kind of tackle that from his angle i think there are a couple of uh, well about three things that come to my mind one, I think in this age of Twitter and email, it's easy to fire off a response. You read something, the first thing that pops into your head, you hit the post new tweet or reply and you let her fly. And then 15 minutes later, you think, you know, maybe I really shouldn't have sent that. Or five other people say, hey, why don't you look at it from this angle? So I think it's um, maybe sometimes we're not as uh, introspective and as careful as we perhaps should be uh, because of the, the way that we just tend to cruise through and, and read and then quickly respond. So that's one thing. I think um, I think there are more avenues available to blind people for accessibility than ever before and I think that's a great thing but I'm really sensing a lot of cynicism uh, in every area whether it's which cell phone I decide to use or whether I choose to continue to use National Library Service or Learning Ally or just go strictly with uh, iBooks and EPUB um, you know, it just seems like uh, a, there's a lot available to us, and maybe um, we don't quite know how to handle some of that uh, uh, freedom, I guess, for lack of a better word. And I think, thirdly, and then, then I'll let, let John have a, have a crack at it, I think, um, as blind people, you know, I have a friend who's in a wheelchair. I don't know a whole lot more about how to help a guy in a wheelchair than a sighted person does. I don't know the needs of a veteran from a war. Um, maybe I don't think about them as much as I should. I tend to think about me <laughs> a little bit selfishly, a little bit, um, uh, you know, narrow-mindedly perhaps, and I don't maybe always open my mind to think, you know, there are other people out there who have needs as well. John, your, your turn. I've talked enough. Well, again, I would like to reemphasize that at the beginning of the website, it definitely says that Learning Ally is um, providing the, the books, making reading accessible for all. I, I think that you cannot be more inclusive than that. So we're not excluding any group. And as Doug mentioned earlier, for individuals who may have a feeling that the word blind or the word dyslexic forces them to wear a label, this uh, takes away the stigma by saying that Learning Ally is producing accessible books for all. Now you don't have a label, or you can choose one if you're comfortable <laughs> with it. Yeah. And, and as far as uh, when you mentioned the options that are available, I believe options are a wonderful thing, especially because it reduces limitations and it expands options and opportunities. So, for example, I know a, a, a new device that's out there now is the Kindle. It, Learning Ally chooses to produce uh, books in a text file, and that can be downloaded to your Kindle 
fantastic. It has a fairly good uh, text-to-speech voice, and there might be people who prefer that device because it, especially for those with a lot more sight than a totally blind person, they can see the screen and navigate some of the features and rely a little bit on their usable vision as well as enjoy the text-to-speech format. Uh, you mentioned NLS earlier. I think they have provided a great service for many years. But again, as a college student specifically, the NLS books do not state what page number you're on at all. So That's if, true. Uh, if I have a book and I'm listening to it from them and it's a good book and I need to quote from it, it's very difficult to because I don't know what page I'm on, I don't know where in the page I'm at, that kind of thing. Um, they will tell me the chapters, you know, at the beginning of each chapter, but they, they are not going to tell me the page number. So that's difficult. Now, of course, the new digital system is fantastic. It's very similar to most of the daisy players that are on the market. So we can insert bookmarks now, and we can navigate quickly to them and retrieve them. But without knowing what page we're on, as a college student, regardless of what level you're in, your instructors are going to expect a page number in your bibliography. So, again, I think that Learn Ally, Learning Ally has education as a primary mission here. And so they definitely customize the books so that we can use them. I don't have to ask a sighted person what page am I on. My Learning Ally book will state that for me. I don't know that, you know, uh, and NLS, that's, that's a disadvantage. But I think that NLS uh, is, is doing a lot of production for the purpose of enjoyment, just easy listening, um, more recreational reading. But there have been occasions where Learning Ally did not have a book available that was required for my courses, and NLS did, and that's okay. So, well, we always I, I felt from the beginning, we, we're part of a menu. We're not the only service in town. Our members yeah. use Braille. Our, our members use NLS or Bookshare. You know, I mean, we're, we're part of a menu of assistive resources for people and you know we want to get um, that service out to as many who can use it as possible and uh, you know uh, any way that we can get the word out and any way that we can build goodwill in this world to do a better job get feedback from people no matter what their so-called learning difference is um, is really good for us and the most beautiful thing of all is when our members succeed in life when they have a chance to, you know, to use accessible materials and just do what they want to do in life and in their studies, then it's not about their so-called disability at all, but it's about their abilities and their talents and gifts. And um, we're lucky to have thousands and thousands of people, really an endless base of stories of people for whom um, these resources have been put to good use, and now they're doing all kinds of fascinating things in life and really becoming assets in their community. And that couldn't, there couldn't be anything more gratifying than that, you know. So um, we're really excited about the future. And, uh, you know, the name change is just uh, a little enhancement to make that future warmer and friendlier toward uh, more people who can use the service. That's excellent. You know, as you guys were talking, I was thinking about all of the books I've read over the years, psychology, music, uh, music therapy is my field of study, and uh, thinking about the volunteers that have read, I mean, l probably law books, I don't know what all's up there. Those people have had to wade through a lot of difficult material that was in, I'm, I know as much as you can, you probably try to match up 
readers, narrators with uh, the field that they're familiar with. But I'm sure, as often as not, you probably weren't able to do that. So th- I think some some kudos need to go to them as well. Oh, absolutely. And we, you know, we can match up. Oftentimes we do, but many times um, we don't. And it, what I've been amazed since I started working here almost two years ago that I've met volunteers who've been coming for. 30, 40, and even 50 years. Um, it's just remarkable the dedication that they have. They've built a real community among themselves, and they're, they're very dedicated. They come every week. Um, some people have spent literally tens of thousands of hours. I think I calculated somebody with 19,000 hours. It, was, it equated to, like, literally, you know, almost two years of their lifespan, you know, wow. <laughs> in our studio recording books. And a lot of these people never actually get to meet an end user. Wow. Um, and yet, you know, their voice is going to touch thousands of people, and it's going to be in the ears of students, helping them uh, make their way in college and elsewhere. And um, that's another whole dimension of what, this, what makes this work so gratifying. And um, again, we, you know, as we grow into the future, we have to create new opportunities for our volunteers and bring younger volunteers on board and, you know, not have them only be physically uh, based in, you know, our our 20 studios around the country, um, but also to be able to work from home or virtually and contribute in different ways. And so that's all part of the, uh, of the evolution as well. Well, that's excellent. Um, that's, that's very good. John, is there anything you'd like to, to admit? I think I gave Doug a chance. I'm not sure if I really gave you a chance to, to wrap up before we, before we close. Well, first I'd like to thank uh, main menu for hosting this broadcast. I'd like to thank the, the members of Learning Ally, and I mean volunteers, staff, everybody, for the great work and the dedication uh, that they put forth. Uh, thanks to them, people like myself have completed their educations and moved on to uh, gainful employment. So it's an organization with many, many voices and faces that are not seen, but those hands and voices all combined together have created a great success story for hundreds of thousands of people. And again. I would like to thank Learning Ally for their tireless dedication in behalf of so many people like myself. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank both Doug Spry, Media Relations Director of Learning Ally, and John Russo, a longtime member of Learning Ally, for joining me here on Main Menu. This is Aaron Edgar reporting for Main Menu from TechAccessWeekly.com. Today I'd like to demonstrate a comparison between two applications designed to identify currency. These applications run on smartphones. One was designed for the Apple iPhone and iPod Touch, and the other was designed for the iPhone and Android devices. The first app was put out by Looktel which is a privately owned app manufacturer. They make several apps, apparently. And this app is called Money Reader. Uh, people all usually call it Looktel, but it installs as Money Reader on your iPhone or iPod Touch. It was designed specifically for those two devices. I don't believe there is an Android version at this time. Uh, this app is $1.99 in the iTunes App Store. The second app was put out by the Bureau of Engraving and Printing in the U.S. government, and it is free. It is called iNote, E-Y-E-N-O-T-E. 
This app has been designed both for the iPhone uh, iOS devices and the Android. I believe it also works on the iPod Touch. Um, and so the idea is you take various denominations of U.S. currency and you hold the phone six to eight inches above the bill and both apps will supposedly tell you what denomination the bill is. A couple of key differences between the apps before I go into the comparison. The Money Reader app has no real interface that you can manipulate. You basically open it up and it snaps the picture and tells you what the denomination of the bill is uh, in a female voice. The iNote app does have an interface that you can interact with. It does work with voiceover, of course, and the interface allows you to switch between privacy mode and non-privacy mode, among other things. Uh, privacy mode, basically what that means is it gives you a sequence of vibrations to indicate A, that it has scanned the bill, and B, what the denomination of the bill is. So one vibration means it's finished its scan, uh, Two vibrations would mean, one, it's finished its scan, and the second one means you've got a $1 bill. Um, they, you know, there's a little bit of a pause between the two. Money Reader by Looktel does not have this privacy mode. The only mode it has is you open up the app, it snaps the picture, and speaks the denomination. So if you don't want the whole world to know what your bill is, uh, iNote is a good choice for that. I will say the scanning results are wildly different with each app iNote doesn't really seem to be very good, and Money Reader is usually rather good. Uh, even if the bills are wrinkled and crumpled, it will do a fairly decent job. iNote has some problems. However, this is the first version of that app, uh, first version of both apps, so um, both will probably improve with time. And now I'm going to demonstrate these apps uh, using bills both with iNote and Money Reader. I will scan each bill with both apps and we will see the results. I have a set of three bills here. One is a $5 bill that is sort of okay. One is a $10 bill that looks like it's been through the war. And another is a $20 bill that's kind of in between. First, I'm going to start with iNote. iNote. iNote is what it is. iNote. Tab to begin. After beep. Steady note six to eight inches in front of camera. Tap. Shutter clicks. Await result. Double tap to replay. Swipe left or right for spoken or privacy mode. In voiceover. Single. Tap is double. Double tap is triple. Switch out of voiceover to change spoken or privacy mode. You get that message every time you enter the app and there's no way to disable it and it's not very clear. But what it essentially means is that you have to... Um, well, the first part, of course, steady the bill six to eight inches in front of the camera. Uh, and then tap to take the picture and you got to tap twice tap to tell it you're ready and then tap to take the picture uh, if you have voiceover of course it's double tap for each task uh, and if you want privacy mode this means that it will vibrate to tell you how many uh, what denomination of currency you have you have to disable voiceover swipe right that will enable privacy mode and then re-enable voiceover again kind of clunky so here we are with iNote open Double tap to scan. After beep, steady note six to eight inches in front of camera. Okay, it's tap. beeped. Shutter clicks. Await result. Error. Reposition. Okay, it didn't like that. Let's try it again. Error. Reposition. Now, it scanned this bill perfectly, like 
two minutes ago, and now it doesn't seem to want to. Error. Reposition. Okay, fine. It didn't like that. Now, let's check the same bill with Looktel and Stand see high. what we Hold. get. Vision light detector. Omobi. Money reader. Money reader. Five dollars. Five dollars. It's pretty instantaneous. You put the bill in its field of vision, so to speak, and it just speaks it. There's nothing that you have to do. Uh, I held it exactly the same way, uh, and it did, and it did just that. Now, one caution about Looktel: vision aids. Um, when you have the phone on vibrate, it comes out the headphone jack and not out of the iPhone speaker, which is a little bit annoying. But okay, now let's see what the two apps do with the semi-okay twenty-dollar bill. In theory iNote can identify the front and back of a bill. With that bill, it had no luck at all. Let's see what it does with this $20 bill that's sort of okay. Eight colors. iNote. Tab to begin. After beat. Steady. After beat. Steady note six to eight inches in. Error. Reposition. Didn't like that. Let's try the other side. See what we get with the other side. Error. Reposition. Let's give it one more try. Error. Reposition. Nope, I don't think it's going to like it. And keeping the phone in the exact same position, not moving it an inch, let's try Looktel with this same bill. Vision aids. Eight, I know. Light detector. Omobi. Money reader. Money reader. $20. $20. $20. There again, same result. Vision aids. Now let's try this $10 bill that has been through multiple wars. I'm not exactly sure how many. It's probably been around since the Crimean War. Okay, this is all floppy and crinkly and crumpledy and dirty looking, according to Rodney. I don't know if he means it looks dirty or that it's just all crumpled and worn out. Eight colors. I know. Light detector. Okay. I know. Okay, I note yet again. I know. Tap to begin. After beat. After beat. Steady notes. Error. Reposition. Okay, fair enough. We'll try it again. Error. Reposition. One more time, because don't they say the third time's the charm? Error. Reposition. Nope, didn't work. Home. Light detector. Almost money reader. With Looktel, holding it the same exact way. Money reader. Ten dollars. Ten dollars. Ten dollars. It took it a minute. Home. It took a little longer than usual. But it did manage to get it. My goodness, that's a worn out bill. 
Um, I will say that Rodney, who has vision, was able to get a little bit better results with the um, iNote than I was. Uh, it's very picky about where the bills are, how they're framed in the camera. Um, he offered to do this tip with me, but if you're blind, that kind of sort of defeats the point. Um, because I wanted to demonstrate that if you're blind, it's very hard to know exactly how to get it lined up. And there's no guarantee you're going to get it, even if you have an idea of how it's supposed to be. Um, the nice thing about that iNote is the fact that it has a privacy mode. And it will give you a certain number of vibrations depending on what the bill denomination is. Um, and that's nice. There could be a way to simply enable this without turning off voiceover, I'm sure they could find a way to do that. Uh, this app is free, so if you don't want to pay the $1.99 to get Looktel, um, you know, this is a very second place, way down the, you know, on the bar stand-in. Um, it does work occasionally, so it's not completely useless. Um, I think if they could develop it a little bit more to be a little less picky about where the um, bill is framed in the camera, um, give it maybe a little more information to go on. They can probably program a few more details to make it easier for them to work with the bills and the images that it gets. It could be good, but at this point, hmm, I, I give it very mixed reviews, and I'm not truly happy with it. Um, Screen dim. No app is perfect, but this one gives very, very inconsistent results. And it needs to be upgraded and updated. Um, but using it actually is very simple. That's a little bit clunkier. Uh, than Money Reader, but still not Screen impossible. Uh, so it's it's a simple app to use. It's free, very easy to download, but just quite not up to par with what I expect from, from an app of this nature. A few things people might perceive as maybe drawbacks to the Looktel Money Reader. Uh, number one, it is only available for iOS devices at the moment. I do not believe they have an Android version. Number two, it does cost. In my opinion, the cost is minimal. It's $1.99. If you have a smartphone, likely $2 is not a life and death price to pay for an app. Considering that currency identifiers made specifically for the visually impaired, well, I think I know of one that is $99, but um, that's still a lot more than $1.99. Another thing with the Looktel app is that it does not uh, you don't get a shutter click when it starts to take a picture to tell you that it's actually working. Uh, I mean, granted, it doesn't usually take that long to identify something, but a little progress indicator, even a little beep would be nice to tell you that the, the bill is actually framed within its camera sights. Unlike uh, iNote, it does not differentiate between the front and back of a bill. But I think the voice is clearer, the results are a lot more consistent, and um, so if I had a choice, I would prefer Looktel. And I really do hope they come out with an Android version soon for that app, uh, since more and more visually impaired people will probably be using Android uh, as a result of Code Factory's new uh, product uh, screen reader suite that they have developed for it. That is a quick comparison of iNote and Looktel. Um, and you can find them in the respective app store and marketplace and download them at your leisure. They're both very easy to use uh, and very easy to install. Thank you very much for listening. 
That concludes this edition of Main Menu. We trust you've enjoyed the program. On behalf of the entire Main Menu team, I'm Jamie Pauls wishing you and yours a great week.